From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome everybody. Welcome again to Are You Not Entertained, the award-winning Are You Not Entertained. Today is episode five of the ongoing series brought to you by Entourage Media called uh, Renaissance 3, Web 3 and Sport. Today I'm delighted to have somebody that I've wanted to get on to Are You Not Entertained for a long time. Mike Dudas is somebody that I've admired from afar. Uh, mainly because he's of a profile that that I think is really unique. Um, I think he'll be the first one to admit that he's not Gen Z. He's significantly younger than I am. Uh, I think he's 40 or something like that. Comes from the the blue chip world of media at Disney. Gone through also Google and YouTube. uh, Then got into, uh, at Google, uh, FinTech, what's now known as Google Pay. And since then has become one of the leading thought leaders around Web3 and investing in Web3. He's on his second fund. His first one was a smaller fund. I think they invested in something like 65 projects with tickets about 100 grand each. The second fund is significantly bigger. I think it's around 130 million mark. That's 130. That's a lot of money. Might not be a lot of money when you think about Sequoia and everybody else chasing Web3, but... In the, in the normal world of VC, that is a big fund and they'll probably be doing things between pre-seed and Series A. Uh, so, so Mike has got a fascinating background. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, he's going to tell me, first of all, how to pronounce DAOs because everybody in Are You Not Entertained slags me off for me calling them DAOs. Uh, he's going to tell us how to pronounce DAOs and more importantly, how he got involved as the founder of Lynx DAO, which... Obviously, it had a huge profile as one of the first ones really in the sport to really, you know, walk the talk. So, Mike Dudas, welcome to Are You Not Entertained? Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here, Roger. It's great. It's great to have you. And and, and for the reasons I said, uh, there's so much we're going to talk about today. Uh, Where I would like to start, Mike, um, given that background that I told everybody about, Curiosity is a big thing I've found in, in in a career and in a personality. You strike me as somebody that, you know, doesn't follow the beaten path. You were on a great career in blue chip media and, and Web2, if we call Google Web2. How did you get into Web3 and why? Tell us about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's been... Uh, frankly, I, I, in retrospect, it was inevitable, which is one of those memes that you know people use in uh, you know <laughs> in crypto um, and in tech and building. But but basically, you know, I've I've always been interested in technology that was at the forefront of you know, whatever era I was in. Um, and you know, as you mentioned earlier to your audience, you know, in crypto, I'm effectively a boomer, right? I'm 42. Yeah. So the uh, <laughs> You know, when I came out of college, I came out in the dot-com bust. And so basically I said, well, heck, you know, sort of 
everything in tech in the late 90s, early 00s was kind of coming down. You know, what's still in ascendance? And so I looked at, uh, I joined Disney, as you mentioned. Um, and what was interesting is that Disney was you know, turning from a pure media business into effectively a technology business, which it is today, right? You know, Pixar is a beautiful technology put up on screen, characters on screen, the amount of technology that you have at the parks. And their goods. It's, it's wild. So um, was very, very, exactly, very, very fortunate to, uh, to kind of learn there how you can take core assets and then add really innovative technology to them. Um, eight years later, I found myself uh, in 2009 at YouTube. And again, you know, taking traditional businesses um, and moving them forward into the future. I was working on the music streaming business within YouTube, which was about a third of the business, but also, you know, they were taking high quality content and putting it online, user generated content. It was how do we take the video medium and, and sort of bring it forward to today? The, the next decade, um, so from 2010 on, you know, I worked on bringing financial technology from, you know, the stone age of, of banks and ledgers and, you know, really old school um, systems that were built in the 60s and 70s as to how we track people's money um, to try to move to mobile payments at Google Wallet and, and Venmo. So again, always been really interested in how technology could improve existing really strong businesses that if they didn't evolve, they'd um, you know, potentially you know, really just fade into oblivion. And so I got interested in crypto in 2013 when it was basically just Bitcoin and you know, Bitcoin for global censorship resistant permissionless payments. I viewed that as better as trusted payments. I know that, you know, that will never, I don't believe that'll ever be the dominant form of payment, non-government money, but it was interesting enough as an alternative for people. And what's happened in the seven, eight years since, you know, I got interested in Bitcoin 2013 is this application layer has evolved. So you had Ethereum that was introduced in 2014, 2015, um, you know, smart contracts was a new innovation and new blockchains that enable you know, more complex applications to run. So where we find ourselves today, um, I jumped in in 2018 and I jumped in full time into Web3 and crypto at a point when uh, the technology is now at a point where average people can use it, but it's still those kind of like early adopters, really technical edge hobbyists. And it's it feels like it's just on the cusp of reaching mainstream. Um, and so that's where I find myself today is investing in and building, you know, LinkStow being an example of that, projects that will start to cross over, I believe, into the mainstream by using crypto technology um, and web and web three technology, which we'll talk about in more depth, to um, create better products than have existed before. So, in the case of LinksDAO, we'd like to create a better golf and leisure club than what's existed before. So, take a local country club, and then you know basically make it, if we achieve our goals, global, accessible to anyone with rules that are effectively voted on using crypto technology. And we'll talk more about that. Um, in addition to that. As an investor, I invest, as you mentioned, out of a fund called Six Man Ventures, where we're investing in uh, what we call Web3 networks that we believe over time will replace many of today's products that people from the outside, regulators, users, et cetera, are politicians are saying are failing. You know, I'd love to see decentralized social networks that are censorship resistant, um, maybe a Web3 Uber that doesn't take such a high yeah. you know, marketplace rake. So those are the types of things that we're investing in and the entrepreneurs that I work with are building. It's a really, really exciting time. 
At the same time, I'm very sober in terms of recognizing we've delivered on you know 1% of the potential here. So it's a very, very precarious time where, you know, if we're talking about Web3 as something where there's an ownership economy, where the people who use the networks own them, hey, if you look at any of these early networks, they're still very highly concentrated in terms of insiders and VCs. Uh, If you look at the technology, it's still very hard for the average person to use to get their Ethereum or their Solana into a wallet that allows them to buy an NFT or to vote in a DAO, which we'll talk about. So we have a lot of work to do. Um, and I'm here to do it. And there's a you know, just a wildly, um, I've never seen a talent flow like this, truly, in, in 20 years. Yep. Um, it's just an absolute, you know, uh, tsunami of phenomenal people. Well, moving. Mike, this is, this is the point. Let's start here before we go into all of these in detail, because the philosophical thing, I think, is one of the major blocks to, to, to Web3. Um, you, you get, you get, you know, you, you came in, you said you came into college just after, I, I think, uh, the first dot-com bust. Um, people seem to forget that, that um, 2000 and 2020 and 2001 were um, pretty bad for internet stocks and everybody was saying that it was all a bust, including people like Bill Gates, if I remember correctly. Uh, then you get into... This always happens to people that are early. The first guy through the door always gets a bloody nose. Um, You get into crypto before the crypto winter of 2018. (laughs) Yes. In fact, started a business as crypto winter was starting. And that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So what I want to start with here. We'll come on to the skepticism in a minute, but you can only address the skepticism once you define well what Web3 is. Because many people kind of like dismiss it as a slogan, as a strap line, as a camouflage for crypto. Um, I've heard you talk about the difference between Web1, Web2, Web3 in a way that I find very compelling. Could you share that with us again, how you would separate the three moments in time? Yeah. So, you know, I think Chris Dixon and some others have talked about, you know, the different, you know, web, web one being, you know, read only web two being, you know, read, you know, I can read things and look at things and, and write and I can like sort of contribute, you know, I can blog. So read, write. And now we're in the sort of web three era, which is you know, read, write, own. So, you know, mm-hmm. I can basically consume, I can contribute, but I can also own a piece of the networks. Uh, another another definition that I enjoy is one that you know the really great writer Packy McCormick wrote, which is Web three is the internet owned by the builders and users, orchestrated with tokens. So I think the two definitions are complementary um, because basically read write own leaves off at like well what does ownership mean and how is it conveyed, and then Packy's definition is well it, you know these tokens convey ownership. But what's so interesting to me about Web3 networks is that the tokens, they're much, much more uh, diverse, powerful, and, and unique. You know, equity in a company, one equity in one company is you know, very similar in form to equity in another company. A token in one network could be very different than a token in another Web3 network. Um, but basically, you know, tokens allow for a, a piece of ownership in a network they can allow you to basically vote on certain specific operations of that network. 
They can allow people to coordinate, you know, so multiple people can vote in you know, similar ways. Um, and they're, you know, basically, you know, they can be used for things like payroll in addition to ownership. You can pay people in tokens versus in dollars. So just a very flexible um, mechanism. They can also tokens in a Web3 network be used to actually secure the network or to you know, convey value by having people lock the tokens up and stake them and put them at risk um, in the network, probably beyond the purview of this particular podcast. But my point is... Yeah, dive, define things like that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, many of these Web3 apps, including the most popular one, Board Ape Yacht Club, which just launched ApeCoin, is talking about a staking mechanism that will get people to lock up their tokens um, in return for rewards and showing sort of long-term commitment to being long-term owners of this collective ApeDAO network that they're building. Um, so look, it's early. These are all <laughs> like, despite the massive sums of value that have been contributed, they're very exploratory. And, um, you know, moving from the definition of Web3 to the definition of now a DAO. So, so quote unquote, Web3, we're talking about, you know, networks and products that people can own. One form of how these things, one form that these things can take is the DAO form. A DAO is um, defined as a decentralized autonomous organization. If I'm being candid, most DAOs or what I would call air quote DAOs, you know, they're not That's truly right. decentralized. I mean, there's no, there's no explicit definition of what decentralized means, but autonomous meaning, hey, if we vote, and the vote records something on chain, then another action happens. You know, the computer basically makes something happen. That's typically not how, you know, most DAOs work. Uh, there's some element of like humans making proposals and then humans enacting the things based on how the vote goes. Okay. And then organization yep. is obvious. But, you know, I don't think the literal definition of a DAO is as important as the spirit of it, meaning, you know, a group of people who are token holders, you know, or NFT holders who can basically, um, you know, vote, make proposals and then vote on them as to how a specific organization that they're collectively funding and collectively building, what shape it takes as it move forward, you know? Yeah, Mike, we'll get into a lot of this uh, more in detail. But the thing that I'm, I'm trying to tease out a little bit here is that um, it's not, I don't want to use the term maximist or anything like that. But from my point of view, as somebody who operates in sport now and has operated in the content industries all my career, I genuinely believe Web3 is a paradigm shift that is going to change everything and in every way. And I get frustrated a little bit that people point out at, oh, look at the Bored Apes Yacht Club yesterday. Look at that. The, everybody's angry. The gas fees. Look at that. The Solana went down this week. Uh, there's a lot of what I call sneering, a little bit like there was in 1999 at .com and a little bit the way there was at the first ICO attempts. How are we going to get through this? Because... From my industry's point of view, sports point of view, they don't buy Web3. They just don't. And they point to all these examples of it. And I get super frustrated because I genuinely believe this will change everything from subs, uh, NFTs uh, as a way to, to buy subscriptions, ticketing, the, the way content is funded. I believe it's fundamental. 
and we are getting dragged down. I use we because I think I'm your side of the boat. We are getting dragged down by the early stages of feeling our way. Do you agree with that? Uh, so I do in the sense that I see the so what you're re referring to in terms of skepticism coming from the sports industry i'm seeing a lot of it coming from the traditional technology industry right so you'll often see like aaron levy of box you know which is like a web 2.0 basically like cloud storage company then you know honestly probably wishes he was running a web 3 business because the enterprise value of his business is lower than you know many of these nascent emerging alternatives um, to what he's doing, like Filecoin and and Arweave and different technologies that do pieces of what they do. Uh, so there's definitely some self-serving commentary, I think, and how they approach it. Um, the the way that we overcome it is honestly by taking in the uh, the the relevant pieces of criticism and then fixing them. And so what's so, you know, it, it's the sort of pull up the ladder behind you approach is a lot of what I'm seeing. So people who succeeded in Web 2 are like, oh, Web 3 is definitely not going to work because of all these limitations. But um, they have sort of failed to remember how their thing wasn't going to work 10 years ago. And then Correct. it did, you know, like Uber was nothing like it is today, you know, when it first started, you know, many of these food delivery things are valued in tens of billions of dollars. They still haven't proven out that their unit, you know, value economics work, um, but they are global and dominant and have changed their industries. The, um, you know, mobile payments wasn't going to work and be a thing. And now it's absolutely dominant. So, uh, and by the way, you're seeing so. So what's interesting is you'll you'll the early adopters like come through first. So you start seeing in that 2018 period, some particularly in fintech, some of the smartest fintech people. I'll call myself one of them moving into the into the space. Now, we then went through a ferocious bear and it took more years to get through. But now you're seeing a wave of those people. If even five percent of the people migrate, it's typically the five percent who are the 10x, you know, those mythical 10 or 100x, you know, engineers, product uh, people, business leaders. So that's what's happening. Um, so you just ignore it and you just need the best people. And then you have a whole new wave of young folks graduating college, still in college, who are dropping out, who are joining, who are earlier in their career, who don't have yep. two decades of Web 2 to remember. Those are the people who are going to build the future. You just need a few courageous right. people who have seen the last thing. So that's what's happening in tech. By the way, it's 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 very easy to be right criticizing new tech. You're going to be right 90, 95% of the time. But the 5 to 10% you miss, the Google, the Amazon, the Facebook, you know, they create the future. So you should, Amen. like, if you actually want to maximize your impact in the world in a positive way, you should actually be in the flow of trying to be default optimistic about everything. Now, there's obvious scams, and there have been since the beginning of time. There were in Web 1.0. But if you Correct. try to focus on, hey, the fundamental belief of moving to an ownership economy is good and we're going to experiment with a bunch of things. And by the way, these things are out in public, in the open, on public blockchains earlier than private startups have historically ever been. I mean, you still, 12 years later after founding, don't know what's in Stripe's pipeline, right, as a company. And they're probably the best fintech of this century. And you still don't have much insight into what they're doing. In Web3, you're building in public. So again, it's extremely easy to criticize. Transparent, it's a yeah. lot harder to get in there and actually build. Shutter, you know, 
shutter your ears. But the bottom line is, so you mentioned sports folks are skeptical. Well, guess what? Their customers aren't because they're spending gobs of money on OpenSea. OpenSea does more revenue than eBay. Um, you know, NBA Top Shot was virtual an goods, yeah. home run. Avatars, yeah. digital so, goods. Like, the-, the customers want it. So you could choose to be skeptical and not do it. Like LinksDAO, we sold 11, 12, sorry, almost $12 million worth of NFTs in two days. We have, you know, I can't name yet who it is, but one of the largest, you know, equipment companies in the world who's investing in links down as, as a partner of ours like the 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 what i always find is when you have these like shifts in technology it often shocks people but the smartest company the best in the world the one you'd think it would be hardest to get as a partner they're the ones who move first you know it was like starbucks and mobile payments move first so that's happening by the way in web3 and you could see it with adidas with yeah. Nike, with callaway and with others um, and I think it's just you saw it with them, with the NBA. Um, I think you're going to start to see it with the Premier League from things I'm hearing, you know, certain yeah. clubs. So I actually think there's less there's there's I would say to your point, generalized skepticism. But you're going to miss out if you're skeptical because the absolute best brands and leaders are jumping in. Well, he, Mike, he, here's what I think I would summarize as the main criticism is talking about all sport, but certainly European sport. The fans are often seen as being taken advantage of. They get soaked, they get exploited by something where somebody smart taps into their excessive loyalty and they end up putting their hand in their pocket without even realising because they are insanely loyal to that club's colours. And people would say that that is the experience with sport and Web3 so far. The main one that we've got over here in Europe is a a company called Socios that have um, done token sponsorship deals. Um, the, The tokens have been underwhelming. All of these things, as I said at the start of the show, make me sad because I think they are cloaking, they are hiding what is the main opportunities of what, NFTs will become. You've said yourself on other podcasts, ultimately, almost all the assets in this world are going to get tokenized sooner or later. And I'm thinking about the, the ecosystem of sport, ticketing, merchandise, the subscriptions for, for TV. How do we need to uh, explain better that this isn't just a kind of like pump and dub scam yep. and that this needs to be embraced? How do we do that better, Mike? It's a great question. So, um, one is that yeah, you have to convey, like you mentioned, and I don't know, socio, like I know socios, I don't know their specific fan programs. Um, but so one, you have to provide utility. So whether that utility yeah. is uh, tangible in the form of like something that's financial or intangible in the in terms of it's like really truly fun and valuable and engaging like a traditional game by the way what you mentioned about sports and fans feeling like they've had value extracted from them the same thing has happened in the gaming industry writ large and it's why the gaming industry you know gamers are very skeptical of you seen as you've seen you know kotaku the the big you know online publication is very skeptical of nfts so uh you just you you don't argue it point by point. It's it's impossible to argue history. It's impossible to say this is different until it exists. Meaning, um, we just have to deliver. 
And so like I would argue there, you mentioned Socios again, I, I don't know it as well as I know Topshot because I was into Topshot. Topshot offered a really great community experience that was better than trading cards when I was a kid. You know, there were moments, there was a discord, there was community, right? It still exists. Now the, val the value has fallen, but that community still exists. Um, the, uh, with links, you know, with LinksDAO, we're building a golf club together and the community is able to vote on things like, you know, what is the style of the course? What is the geographic location? Those, those votes will be coming as we get further through the course acquisition process. That's real value. Like this is going to be these folks, you know, our community, our members are going to shape the club and they value that. And we've had to be very, very clear that, for example, what you're buying with our NFT isn't something that we're hyping as speculation and price appreciation, yeah. but you're creating something with us and then we'll get you perks and benefits. Um, but to your point, um, we really, really need to shine a light on the projects that are good, like ones that have really good intentions, like Wag Me United, right, which is buying a football club. Let's talk about them for a second. Yeah. That's another one that's very, very heavily criticized. Talk about them for a second, Mike. Yeah, so... To me, you know, from the outside, like I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm probably going to, you know, 90% of the people on this podcast are going to boo me and 10% will be delighted. I'm a huge Liverpool supporter. So we've got a big Champions League, you know, match this afternoon. Yeah. I'm very, very excited yeah. about that. So I know, you know, English football decently well. There's a lot of clubs. Um, let's be honest. So, you know, my general feeling is why be so critical of, given how many clubs there are of, you know, a group of people with resources who want to try something, you know, really interesting and compelling with just one Amen. of those hundreds of clubs. Amen. Let, let me, let me put this another way to you because this is one of the things that really annoys me. I'll say it more bluntly that I think you're alluding to the way sport is going for Gen Z is very much is towards the high end, the polarization to the high end, which leaves a very long tail in the U United Kingdom. I think there's something like 130 so-called professional clubs. Um, at least a hundred of them are going to find a struggle to find a business model as more and more of the money goes to the, the top end of the game. Exactly. I, well, I know, I know that, Mike. I know that, Mike. And that's why when I see Wagme and I see Crawley and I see basically, and it's not only the financial answer, Mike. Here's the other thing. Fans in, in Europe, football fans, let's talk about soccer fans. They have forever since the cradle to the grave, they talk about being taken advantage of. Nobody listens to us. We get taken advantage of. We get told when a kickoff is. We will always turn up. So not only do DAOs offer a potential solution to a business model, because you you basically become a community business, uh, it also gives you a voice that forever in a day you've complained that you have never had. So, you know, mm -hmm. I look at WAGME and I look at everything else that is going to come like that as a potential solution for the ultimate polarization of sport. And I hate the fact 
that they get tarred with, oh, here's some more crypto guys on a pump and dump scam, and we will be in, uh, you know, administration. In I know the time. folks doing it. I mean, some are looking like this is a this is a passion, a deep, deep, deep passion hobby. I'm doing something similar in the states, but it's not buying an existing club. But we invested in fan controlled football, and it's saying, hey, yeah, the, the NFL. You know, people are dying of concussions, you know, brain syndromes at 50. Let's find something that's, you know, less impact, more fun, more fan involved. Um, you know, the rules are too intense. We need some alternatives to what the NFL is today. And by the way, people are soaking it up. Um, I think the, 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 to your point, the key is like there's been a stratification to big money. That's going to exist. But people are going to want fun, reasonable, approachable alternatives. And those won't exist without, I mean, I think people are way too focused on the crypto bro and the source of funds thing versus the actual intention. And, you know, exactly. there's no question that crypto has created incredible wealth for an incredible amount of people at a scale sort of unmatched um, in, a, in a relatively short period of time. But you know, most of the folks that I know who are in that boat, um, you, you'd like their intentions a lot more than the, you know, hedge fund folks and the Wall Street folks of the 90s and the 00s, right? Like they're, exactly looking, right. they're entrepreneurs, like looking to pour this back into how do we make products better? How do we make it so that people are having, I mean, it's called wag me, we're all going to make it. How do we make it so that people are having as much fun as we are? And I know it's easy to point and say, you know, cynically that that's all bullshit and that people are just, you know, basically, well, well clearly we're not all going to make it. But the intention here is to show and to get as many folks involved in a path to having fun, making money and doing the things they love as possible. And I'm sorry, but like you, you're you're going to miss it if you're just default cynical on everything. Like I'm just telling you the grand arc of the last 12 years has shown that if you've been, by the way, optimistic about crypto and listened to people and then been critically thoughtful and, and been critical as well, a reasoned skeptic will be able to yes. spot most of the, you know, scammy and crappy stuff. I mean, it's, it's there for the taking um, for, for pretty much anybody to, in my mind over the next decade, um, but so that being said, you know, in very episode, you know, if somebody bought my football team and ran it in a shoddy manner and was extractive, like if that happens, that would be horrible. But knowing the people involved, for example, in Wagby United, I know that they know the responsibility they have to the community and aren't going to do that because they'd ruin it for everybody. Um, so, uh, yeah, but the proof's in the pudding. And so the only way to disprove is to deliver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so listen, let's let's come on to the DAOs, uh, the idea which I, I believe strongly, the idea that you're actually giving people who have always complained to never have a voice, you're giving them a voice. The blockchain technology allows you to do that. The DAO concept allows you to do that. So uh, you, you've alluded to it a little bit here, but you know, when I was studying uh, for this episode, it's interesting that you call the subscribers to LinksDAO, the ones that came in on, on that 10, 12 million, they're really an advisory board at this time because you still have got an old school corporate vehicle that will ultimately go and buy the golf course. That's right, isn't it? 
you're, you're, they've basically uh, invested into a community that is going to have the intention to then make an investment in some ways, in old school ways. Tell us a little bit about why that is. I think I know the answer, which is that the laws aren't really up to speed yet to allow proper DAOs to, to operate yet. But is that another difficulty for you that you're having to explain? Well, you called it air quote DAOs at the start. Is that another thing that we're going to have to struggle with to explain what's going on here? Yeah. So that's, again, another great question. So part of the reason why it's easy to point um, to point to things that are happening, these sort of emergent phenomenon and say, hey, that's just crap is because from a regulatory perspective, I can't you know, go out and sell a bunch of NFTs to people in a non you know, KYC environment and give them ownership of tangible assets. Uh, there are securities laws in the United States that make that something you can't do. So knowing that, uh, as somebody who wants to run a participatory project, you have to find a structure that gives people enough value in return for that NFT that they're purchasing. So again, the ability to shape the club, the ability to become a member, a number of community perks, and then this, you know, a bunch of other things that we've created and continue to create. Um, and then if they're accredited, they get first look at being able to purchase equity in the entity that will actually own, operate the courses, own the IP and brand, you know, and, and um, basically make a lot of the corporate decisions. By the way, there will be value in both. If you look at Board Ape Yacht Club, there's value in the Yuga Labs, which is the parent company equity holders. And now there's value to hold the Ape token. Um, you know, we have every plan to uh, have a linked token in the future, uh, in the not too distant future. Um, and folks who hold the NFTs will receive those links tokens. Uh, equity holders will also receive a portion. And we believe that if we structure this correctly, both the links token and the links equity will have value in the same way that Yuga, you know, has value for both um, forms of you know, consideration they have for the corporation and then for their Web3 network slash DAO. But we couldn't do it in the way that you would dreamily do it, which would be let's just go out, let's raise 20 to 30 million via selling NFTs, drop a token. And then everybody who purchased that owns a piece of, uh, you know, the thing that you build. Um, that's an unregistered security sale. You can't do it. And so the folks on the sideline, who I think most of whom know that, but still want to operate in bad faith and are very bright people will say, well, you know, what did those people buy with that NFT? You know, they didn't get anything. But that shows a disrespect for the purchasers, the people who actually want to be a part of this community, this club, believe it's going to be something special, believe that, you know, those rights to create it, those rights to be a member, the perks that we have, and then the eventual ability to participate um, in this token economy that will include, you know, play golf to earn tokens, um, you know, do things with other links members to earn tokens. There's going to be an online and metaverse component, um, you know, online golf clubs that correspond to the ones that we purchase in the real world. There's going to be a lot of really fun community yeah, yeah. And gaming stuff. It's an insult to the folks who find that to be really exciting and valuable to, to say that, the, that uh, and by the way, the, you know, the majority of people are absolutely delighted. Our members are. It's just a very, there's always, and I've learned this since I joined crypto, there's a very vocal, 
you know, pretty small minority of people who just spend their time. I don't know why this doesn't seem to me like it would be happy life, just shitting on everything new and novel. And, you know, oh, yeah. candidly, they're right 80% of the time because things fail, meaning they're not necessarily right that the thing was bad, but it just doesn't work out. It's easy because most early stage startups fail, right? Um, but I don't know why you'd want to do that as a career because then you miss, again, as we said, on you miss out on Bitcoin. Ethereum, well, well, well on. one of the reasons is what you said before, and this is my experience as, as you know, a fair bit older than you, uh, Mike, is that uh, people don't want to see the end of the status quo that they have earned money in. The famous uh, uh, Upton Sinclair, a man won't under, understand something if his uh, livelihood depends on him not understanding it. They just do not want the world to move on because they have made a very good living out of the way the world is today. People don't want to change. So that that I know about. The thing about bad actors... You know, you, you describe there very much a situation that's complex, legally complex, regulatory complex. It's set up for a world of bad actors. But here's my thing that to anybody that's listening to this, I come originally from the finance industry as well. Does anybody remember the term boiler room? Boiler room was when you got penny stocks. Uh, this is the start of um, Wolf of Wall Street, you may remember, where bad actors would sell bad projects, scams, to unwitting uh, people who fell for it. So why, if that is our background, the financial markets, as you say, Mike, are full of scams. You know, I could rhyme off 20 without even thinking, big ones. So why should people trash Web3 as a philosophical concept to empower people who haven't been empowered before by pointing to the ones that aren't going well? I get really frustrated with that, Mike. And, and you know, I want that to change. I want us to start talking about how, indeed, in the future, you having your ticket to go to a sporting event will be in the form of an NFT that in some way will also be half collectible. Same with your subscription to your, your, your paid TV channel. We know how difficult it is these days to unsubscribe to anything. It's, they make it so, so difficult. With NFTs, that could be done like a kind of like better asset that changes so easily. I want this community to focus on the positives here and not just be, you know, oh, Solana was down this week, this whole thing's crap. Because that's where we are today, Mike. Yeah, so it's... You know, look, it's frustrating. It's easy. Yeah, I get some of it. Um, but I just think like if the, you know, I just don't appreciate a lot of the tone and tenor. It's like, I'm fine with criticism, right? Like not this stuff's not working all of it today at all times. Um, but I really, really, really strongly, when I fight back or when I block people on Twitter or I just stop listening to you and I turn out, tune out, is when you imply that there are sinister motives, like that anybody participating in Web3 is by definition a scammer, is by definition yeah. a pumper, is by definition trying to take advantage of you. Sorry, but no, like especially people, for example, like me, who have a multi-decade track record of actually exactly. working and delivering on cutting edge technology. And there are tens of thousands of people like me, cut it the F out, like just stop it. It's just so 
lazy. It's so disingenuous. It's so me, 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 like attention chasing to do that, you know, like to just continually call people who have proven to do the hard work to make new things that are really valuable that in 20 years will be consensus massive wins happen. Um, to paint those folks as like scammy snake oil sales salesmen and women, it's just it's not acceptable. Um, and I, I think people should be ashamed of that. That's not the majority of people who are critics, but the shame of it is those are the ones that tend to end up for whatever reason, the New York Times and a lot of these other publications look for page views and clicks and tend to feature. Oh, yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. Let, let's focus on. Let's focus on some of the the more sensible critics. My co-host in this show, who's normally with me, uh, Grant Williams, who, by the way, founded Real Vision with Raul Pal. I know you've been on Raul Pal. Yeah, I saw Raul down in the Bahamas last week. He was at Crypto Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. Grant founded Real Vision with with Raul. And then I, I think if truth be told, Mike, if truth be told, I don't think many people say this, but one of the reasons I think they parted ways was Raul's uh, evangelism for uh, crypto, which Grant doesn't share. Yep. Um, so uh, you know, here's what some of this, the 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 what I would call the intelligent critics would say, and I think we should put them on the table. Let's start with the idea of fan ownership in a non-Web three world. Uh, we have seen, certainly in Europe, maybe less so in America, where the franchises are difficult to buy, we have seen things like fan supporters trusts. We've seen, indeed, fan ownership at some clubs that I can think of. You know, Motherwell would be one, Heart of Midlothian would be another. We've seen fans paying by, you know, physical things like buying bricks for the new stadium with their name on it. Mm. Um, So what, what I'm saying is they can be corralled so you know what my question is here on this one. Isn't Web3 just a fancy name for new form crowdfunding or supporters trusts or something like that? What's the big difference? So what's the big difference today, you're saying, in terms of fan ownership? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, sure, okay, you could say it's on a smart contract, it's on chain, but ultimately all you're doing is rounding up uh, members of the community for a whip round with a, with a hat out, and, and, you know, that's nothing new. That would be a criticism that I think needs a decent answer. Yeah, so by default, nothing has changed, meaning, you know, to your point, you know, you own a token on a blockchain representing, you know, either security ownership, depending on the structure or, you know, other some other type of interest. It only is different if it's truly participatory. So it's much, much easier today for this to be participatory in the sense that you can create a discord community for the fans, right? For the supporters, for the owners. You can communicate with them in a highly different way. Um, You can segment benefits. You can create token gated merchandise shops and things that are just really unique. Um, You can actually sell these interests to people globally who might wanna be involved in the community but don't live locally. So, and but but and you can actually have owners and you know, the the sort of competence and their ability to communicate directly with fan directly with the fans and supporters. Um, but but to your point, by definition, um, like Setters Paribus, it's not different. You need to prove that you're going to use those tools, techniques, uh, and community yeah. features to involve the people 
in a promising way. And by the way, the folks who are doing this, who are purchasing things, have an economic incentive to do that, right? You have an economic incentive um, and you have effectively with tokens now, you have a public mark of what the value is. So I think that's the other big innovation here is that, you know, if a token's trading, you know, people can trade in and out of their interests in some cases, depending on, you know, what the token represents. Whereas if you had, you know, equity ownership, that that was the very, very different, right? That's one of the biggest differences between traditional tech startups and crypto startups is, you know, the tokens can be liquid much more quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, Liqui- liquidity is a big difference. Yep. Let, let me let me let me ask you a, a, an easier question because that was a difficult one. That one, an easier, funnier one, because the, I know you're a sports fan, right? And I know you follow franchises that are maybe not the the the, the flavor of the month these days. I think you, the Mets, and uh, you know things like that. So what I'm going to ask you is this, man: fans are irrational. <laughs> So giving them a say, is that not the worst fucking idea of all time? I mean, they are not going to run the thing rationally. Yeah. So I think what you're going to end up seeing is, and that's the the biggest challenge, and it's a very, probably the most fair criticism. Today, you know, most of these quote unquote DAOs, the, the ownership is pretty concentrated, whether it's core team and or, you know, large investors or large interested parties. And the notion of community ownership by default is probably more complex than just having owners who make the decisions, right? Like I'm a New York Mets fan and Steve Cohen, he's calling the shots, right? He owns the thing. <laughs> like yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. get to say we should, you know, get this free agent. I don't get to vote on it. Um, so I think it, it shows there's promise and hope. Uh, but it's probably not going to look as utopian as people think. And then I, I, I'm curious to see, and I don't think there's a clear answer yet. And I think this is where reason skepticism is merited is like, what happens when, you know, again, what if all, what if like the fans vote and they vote in favor of something, but they only represent 40% of the total votes. Like it's, there's just, it's so early. We're not there yet. It's tough. It's it's early. It's tough. We're going to have some things that work and we're going to have some things that blow up, you know? And so I think what, what a lot of people who criticize are saying is just, they're signaling, look, I'm risk averse and I'd rather just operate in an area and an environment where I, ha- I know my predictable business, even if it's not a great one. And I'd rather do that than take on a risk. Uh, I'm the opposite kind of person who's like, let's take on a big risk and challenge. Um, by the way, I think these collective ownership things need b- a, b- like a, a mixture of um, collective voting and member voting, but also a really concentrated team that is uh, that's like yeah, yeah. leadership team that's yeah. making recommendations and then spending time educating the community. Like I'm doing a Discord podium tonight with our members, you know, for an hour, just talking about you know our fundraise and some other things that are happening. And you know, you have to spend the time. If you don't connect with your community, then it's gonna it's not gonna work. It's it's pretty much yeah, that no, simple. I, I, I... I get that. Uh, Let's continue a little bit with some specific examples. Let's take a scenario where the Packers, the Green Bay Packers, they came to you and they said, look, man, um, we've got our kind of like fan ownership thing now. We're pretty unique. But obviously, you know, we've got a demographic cliff. The average age of our fan is, what, 55, whatever it is. 
Uh, how do you translate the beauty of uh, the Packers constitution into Web3? Would you take that job on? Would you would you relish that? It would really depend on whether I mean today their PSLs like or their you know, their their ownership doesn't really convey anything. Like it's just like you know this is like a souvenir. Um, if 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 they wanted to convert to true Web3 ownership, sure. I mean you know they've got one of the most passionate diehard communities in the world. I think you know it would be anybody's dream. Um, I wouldn't want to have to move to Green Bay, a little too chilly for me, but, um, <laughs> but, but the people there, you know, they're, they're good people and they're really passionate. Um, but you know, the NFL is not going to allow that is the bottom line. Right. So the NFL is not going to allow real, like these professional sports, yeah, they are. there's a reason why, you know, wag is not looking at like, you, like, I, like Krause house has basically, I think said, look, you know, we're not going to be able to buy a full NBA team, but maybe we could you know, buy minority ownership in one. And I think the NBA might be a little more favorable to these things. They did top shot than the NFL, who's like, you know, players can barely like do anything with NFTs. Yeah, yeah. So like, listen, as, as we wrap this up, as we wrap this up, Mike, I want to like, understand a little bit about where you think the next two or three years go. Uh, and I'm going to broaden it out a little bit. This isn't being a crypto conversation because I don't think that's the audience. But, you know, let's be honest, it's not been a great 2022 for the whole crypto Web3 space so far. One could argue, you know, the Ethereum's down. As I said, some of the projects are, are well off. The, the, the volumes on, on OpenSea are down. Do you think this is a blip or is it, as some people think, the air coming out of the bubble? <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, from a Web3 perspective, you know, things are moving along like relatively nicely, right? Like we're investors in Stepin, which is a, you know, move to earn um, app that's up astronomically this year. Um, you know, Ape is up quite a bit this year. Uh, sandbox, you know, decentralized land. A lot of like the sporting and Web3 stuff is actually up. Um, I do think, you know, perhaps like we'll see, you know, some of it, some of the pricing there may be ahead of the actual usage. Um, the things that are down are still up relative to where they were. You know, Bitcoin is up relative to where it was the end of 2020. Um, you know, it, it hit a peak of, of obviously close to 60K. Um, and it's back down, but, uh, but you know, it's down at 38 K. If you told me eight years ago, Bitcoin would be at 38 K. I would have said, yeah, hey, I get that. I get that, that. that's a win. I get, yeah. yeah. I just, you know, I know the, the common refrain is zoom out, but, um, I, I feel fine. I mean, there's just the other thing, like, like you mentioned a few things like open sea volume was, it's down from where it was at the absolute frenzied peak in, I think January, but April was higher than March. Um, and, you know, then the other side, you know, in May, we just had ape. I mean, so that's a, a new frenzy. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, um, yeah. there's there's enough money and the amount of venture money that's been raised. And that's the point. Deployed, that's the point. That's yeah. my point. I mean, you got the best funds in the world. These are not dummies. Paradigm, Sequoia, you know, Ribbit, A16Z, you know, Han. Um, oh, yeah, it's huge. On and on. Yeah. Mike, Mike, this is the thing that, that I think the, the skeptics need to understand. We've, we've covered a lot of the points before. The, the, their business model um, 
will need to change. And I think Web3 is a potential solution to that. I'm not talking about sponsorship. I'm talking about what I said before about subs, about ticketing, about um, uh, merchandising and all of that. Secondly, when you've got a wall of money, new money in the, v the VC community, let's be honest, for the last generation, the last 25 years, our world is dominated by decisions that are made in Silicon Valley and the bets that they make there. So if these guys now are pointing their cannons to Web3, I think that's a pretty decent clue. But the, the overwhelming one for me is what you said, Mike, the young talent. Yeah. In my generation, the young talent went into investment banks or McKinsey. Yeah. Uh, maybe your generation, it was more the start of the Googles and the things like that. Now they're in Web3 and they're not going anywhere else. So, you know, um, that's how I see it. And that's why I think ultimately the truth will out. I'm going to wrap up now, uh, but I want to ask you to tell everybody how they follow you, what's coming up with LinkDAO and, you know, how they can keep in touch with somebody that's managing the amount of funds uh, to invest that you are, because they, they should be following you because you are a thought leader in this area. How can people keep in touch with Mike Dudas? Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. So, you know, I'm at M Dudas, at M-D-U-D-A-S on Twitter, uh, active Twitter feed. Uh, make sure you see him when I tweet him because I tend to delete my tweets every week. I feel like Twitter is a great in the moment communication method. I don't feel like I need a long term record of what I was thinking, you know, last Saturday to be online in perpetuity. Um, but great conversations there. And then we have a six man ventures and links to our Twitter feeds just that are fantastic. Um, and you know, that's where the conversation happens. It'll be really interesting from a Web3 perspective, whether there's going to be a decentralized social network. But for now, so much happens on Twitter. I'd also love, since this is a group of sports you know, executives and enthusiasts listening to this podcast, I'd love for people to check out linksdow.io and or jump into our Discord. Uh, just an incredible, lively conversation. Tons of folks who are both thinking and executing at the forefront of Web3, starting with golf. And it's a really great place to do it. It's a great game that we play. We all play until we die, right? So, and you're the player, you know, unlike football where you're watching it as a spectator. Um, so really, really you know, great community to start to learn about Web3 and the ethos is, is linked down. All right. Thanks, Mike. Mike, that's just so generous for you to give us your time and your insight. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks to all our listeners. If you are, do want to follow us, follow us on Twitter, Entertained R, and you can follow us also on the, the various tw Twitter feeds of uh, Grant, Giles, and myself. Uh, Mike Dudas, what an education. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it.